Okay, it's at the edge, so if you'll pull it in and share, I want to hear this unison of our voices. It's going to be fabulous. Um, number one, are you ready? Here we go. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. And the scripture, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor, Matthew 5 and 3. Give yourself a hand. That was fabulous, I tell you. So um, what we're going to do, I'm going to kind of tell you where we're going. Um, as you know, this is our first week on denial. And anyone that's been with us a while, as, as surely as the leaders, know that Celebrate Recovery loves acrostics and do not fear. We're going to hand these out. I didn't put them on your um, table, but I want all of those in active recovery and leaders to take one of these. It shows so many great scriptures and statements. But tonight, when I asked Maggie to speak, I asked her to speak on denial, and I wanted her not to be limited. Amen? And just to bring forth what God wanted us to hear. Maggie has a phenomenal story of recovery before we pray, and I introduce her. Um, Maggie's ordained minister of shorts and sailor sales as well, and has run ministries, has been an um, itinerant speaker, and found herself for many years. If you've not heard her story, I don't know if she's even going to bring any tidbits in tonight, but we'll have her back, um, whatever she wants to. But she's been operating. She'll tell you how long she's been clean. But she is a story of recovery. Everyone say story of recovery. And a victorious one. And I just felt that as I was looking toward the new year that she would have a word for us about denial. And I just couldn't get away from it. I'm so thankful it worked out tonight. So we're going to pray. And I'm going to introduce Maggie. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this Wednesday night. We bless our brothers and sisters that are vacationing this week, the Hagrids and others that had other situations. We thank you for everyone that's here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to us through Maggie. Just let us hear, open our hearts and our ears to hear what you want us to hear. We thank you that we do recover. We thank you, Jesus Christ. You are the center and the reason and our victory for recovery. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. So at this point, please welcome Maggie Woods to the stage. Come on, give it up for Maggie. Hello. Okie dokie. Um, so I'm Maggie Woods. Some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, I just passed my six-year clean mark. Um, yay, I know, I can't believe it. On uh, December 22nd, so I'm a little beyond that now, um, I had a 13-year opiate addiction. Um, and it was rough, you know, y'all know. Um, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, so I know about addiction. I am uh, well-versed in uh, denial. So, I mean, you know, I was like, who else is going to speak on tonight? It has to be me. I mean, <laughs> I'm the expert. Um, I love recovery. Um, I love recovery stories. I love people that recover. Um, I love, you know, all the different ways that you can recover. You know, so I think it's so exciting anytime you get to be in a group of people like this. And it's so important as you recover to stay in touch with the recovery community. Let me encourage you, along your journey, 
and, and I know that when you're going through it, you're, you know, it's everything you can to just get through it and to work on yourself and to stay clean and to make new choices and to try to figure out who you are now that you're this clean person. Um, but let me encourage you, don't ever stop looking back and reconnecting with your recovery community. And it's, and it's everywhere. You know, anytime you can, do that. I think it's so important. It's going to help you long term. And I only have six years under my belt. Um, you know, and, I, and I've got to stay focused and stay connected and keep recovery over everything. You know, that's a saying that you hear in recovery. Recovery over everything. Recovery first, right? Amen. Um, so thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to speak about this. So tonight we're going to talk about denial. And in the 12 steps in NA or, uh, and also in Celebrate Recovery, the first step, and you read that tonight, is what? Admitting you have a problem, right? And what can you not do when you're in denial? That's right. You can't admit you have a problem when you're in denial. Um, denial is the refusal or the inability to accept the truth that's in front of you. Um, it's what's obviously true, and your brain does not commute. Um, it's distancing yourself from reality. And I can remember being there. Um, it's easy to be in denial when you're in active addiction um, because you're high. Your brain's feeling too good to think something bad might be going on. I mean, am I talking to the right people? Right. Um, and then when you're in withdrawal, I mean, it can't possibly be the drugs or the alcohol that's causing all this drama. So you can't accept the truth then either. And then there's that place in between, the bouncing back and forth between feeling really, really good and feeling really, really bad. Right? Ain't nobody got time to figure out what the problem is then, do we? All we know is we need to feel good again. I got to get off this bad part, and I got to get over to this good part so I can figure this all out. And let me explain to you something. Neither of those states are the truth. And that's what breaking down denial is about. It's about getting to the part that's the truth. That real good feeling you get, that's not the truth. That's a chemical. That's your brain releasing chemicals on another chemical. And that real bad feeling, bad part, that sick part, that desperate part, that's not the truth either. That's, again, that brain saying, I don't know what you just did, but you're going to need to do it again, and the sooner the better. Those two states are not the truth. Remind yourself of that if you find yourself there again, that this high feeling is not, it's not the truth. This real low feeling, this bad feeling, this is not the truth. You can't make an honest decision when you're sick or when you're high. You can't, you can't figure out what's real. And I was thinking about the movie A Few Good Men and what it's like to be in active addiction. Y'all remember, and some of you are too young for this, but I'll explain it to you. Back in the 80s, was it the 80s? It might have been. When you guys were little, some of you, 
there was a movie, and Jack Nicholson was in it, and Tom Cruise was in it, and it was, it was epic. It was a war movie. And I thought about, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is an attorney, and he has Jack Nicholson, who is uh, in the military, on the stand. And I thought about what it's like when you're in active addiction, and you put your brain that is high and low on the stand. You say, tell me, brain, what's wrong with you? Tell me, brain, tell me what the truth is today. Do I feel really, really good, or do I feel really, really bad? And that brain that is an active addiction, if it could speak, you know what it would say? You can't handle the truth. The truth is, you're addicted. The truth is, you have a problem. The truth is, you've got me high one day and sick the next. You can't handle the truth. That's the first step to getting better, is putting that brain of yours on the stand and learning to tell the truth, learning to handle the truth. It's the first step. If you're ever going to get well, if you're ever going to make progress, if you're ever really going to get into active recovery, you're going to have to handle the truth. You're going to have to put that brain on trial, and you're going to have to find yourself guilty at the end, unfortunately, is how it works. Denial is about hiding your addiction and problems from others, right? I think addicts become like, they, I mean, I felt like I was an Academy Award actress sometimes. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I could put on a show and the performance for the best actress in a leading role. Maggie Woods acting like a complete and crazy wild person. That was me. Have you been in that role? Yeah. It's about hiding from others, but mainly denial is about hiding the truth from yourself. I mean, it couldn't possibly be me. All, this, all these problems, all this drama, all this sickness, it couldn't possibly be me. And you begin to have an inner dialogue with yourself. And addicts do this. And I learned this in, in treatment that I went through, and I thought it was wonderful, and I use it now, and I hear it now in my own head as I live life. And you begin to tell yourself things to make yourself feel like everything's okay. And if you'll learn to listen to the inner dialogue you have going on, there's a huge connection between how you speak to yourself and the things you think and the way you think. And did you know, and I've taught my girls this, did you know it's up to you how to feel? What? You mean if I wake up and I'm in a foul mood, I have the option to not feel like that? That's correct. You choose how to feel. You choose it. And if you wake up and you're Mr. or Mrs. Grumpy Pants, well, then you can say, you know what? I'm not going to be Mr. or Mrs. Grumpy Pants today. I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm going to choose what to think. So anyway, you, you justify yourself to yourself when you're in active addiction. And I wrote down some things I told myself, and I just wrote down, I think I wrote down 20. I could have written, I could still be at home writing right now, all this stuff I told myself. And I want you to kind of think over some of the things maybe you told yourself. Yeah, I wrote down 20. Okay. Stuff I told myself when I was in active addiction. And I want you to start thinking back. Um, you know, I don't know where you guys are along your journey, but where you've been and how you got there and the thoughts you chose to think 
and the things you told yourself, okay? Stuff I Told Myself in Active Addiction, and that's a wonderful title. Good job, Maggie. Number one, I told myself I was okay. I told myself I had to have it to ever feel happy. What? Have we heard that one? I told myself I was special and that it was okay for me to use. I told myself I had it under control. I told myself I was getting better. I love that one. I'm, I'm better today. I only did such and such. That's a remarkable improvement. I know, I know. Number six, I told myself that I would replace the money I took to buy drugs. Uh-oh. I'm going to replace that. They'll never even know. I'm going to replace that. I told myself I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix this. Disregard the burning building behind me. I'm going to fix that in a minute. What, you hear sirens? It's, oh, just disregard. Don't pay no mind. Explosions. Oh, that's nothing. I got this under control. I'm going to fix it. Right? I told myself no one had to know. Ouch that I could do this all on my own, that I could get clean all by myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. I'm going to take a few days. I'm going to take the weekend off. I'm going to take my vacation time. I'm going to take spring break. I'm going to take the three-day three weekend, and I'm going to get clean. I'm going to come back Monday, new girl. I told myself I was going to start immediately tomorrow right? How many times? Have you all said that? I mean, I'm telling you what, this is it. Tomorrow is going to be great. You know, just, you know, give me, I might be a little grumpy the next two days, but you know, it's going to be okay. I told myself I wasn't really addicted. I told myself I wasn't like other people who were addicts. I wasn't like those people on TV or those people I see on Just Busted. I mean, not yet anyway, right? I mean, come on. That's a whole other story. We'll get there, maybe. I told myself I wasn't like them. I wasn't like people that were out homeless. Not yet. I wasn't like that guy I saw wandering around Walmart. Not yet. I told myself I deserved it. Now that's a great one. You know, I had a bad day, I had a bad back, or the doctor gave it to me, or I was stressed out, or I was in a fight with my husband. I deserved it. I told myself my addiction was making my life better. I told myself the only problem, and this is absolute insanity, but you'll get it, I told myself the only problem was that I kept running out. <laughs> if only I didn't run out, there'd never be a problem. I told myself that the consequences that were happening all around me had nothing to do with my drug use, but they were because of other people. Or if only they would have given me the promotion. Or if only my boss had allowed me to be a late to be late to work uh, 47 days in a row. That wasn't my fault. 
You know, if only they hadn't fired me. My boss didn't like me. Or only if my spouse understood. Or if everybody just knew the kind of pain I was in physically. None of these consequences are my fault. You know, if only we made more money. It couldn't be that I was spending all the money on pills. I told myself that I had to have it to function. I got to function. I mean, I got to function, right? I mean, I'm functioning. I mean, this is real life functioning right here. I mean, I was, I was only an hour and a half late to work today. I mean, I'm better. Right? I told myself that I couldn't afford to get help or take time off to get help. That's a good one. I mean, I can afford to go to 12 doctors in a week, but I can't afford to get any help. Right? I can take a six-hour lunch break to go do what I got to do to function, but I can't take any time off to get help, right? I told myself that no one knew, and that one is hilarious because everybody knew. Everybody knew. People that didn't know me knew, right? You ain't fooling nobody. And it's so obvious. When I see people that I know are under the influence, specifically for me of opiates because that was my drug of choice. I'm just like, surely I never was like that, but I was. I was like, did I walk into businesses and act a fool? Yeah, I probably did. Did I slur my language? Did I talk like that? Did I look like that? Was I frantically desperate like they are? Yeah. Everybody knows. You're not fooling anybody. I told myself that using made me confident. That I couldn't speak if I wasn't using. That I was too anxious and nervous to interact with other people. I told myself that's who I was. I didn't know who I was without that. I told, my, I told myself, here's a good one, I told myself that somehow the laws of the universe, the laws of humanity, the laws of physical health didn't apply to me. I told myself that this wasn't going to kill me. Somehow I was in the specialty zone that I didn't have to eat and that I didn't require sleep anymore and that I could work 75 hours a week and that I could hide this and hide that and run here and drive all night long, am I in the right room tonight? And somehow, none of that was ever going to catch up with me. Those are some of the lies I told myself. Think about what are some of the lies you've told yourself? What are some of the things you've said? Some of the things you've gone over as you've gone about your active addiction. Recall those things. Those things are good for you, and those things will help you as you pursue a life of cleanness and of sobriety because you'll start to recognize those thoughts.
What are you saying, Maggie Woods? Are you saying that using starts with a thought? That's exactly what I'm saying. The same way you go and make yourself something to eat when you're hungry starts with a thought. When you're hungry, you say, oh, I'm hungry. So what happens then? You just magically have food right then? No. You go, well, I'm hungry. Let me think about it. What do I want? And then you go to step two. Well, I think I want a bowl of cereal. Then what do you do? Is Magically, is there cereal right there? No. Then you're like, well, I'm going to go into the kitchen, and I'm going to open the cabinet. It's a process. So think about your thoughts. That's another thing for another time. Addiction and denial go hand in hand. And addiction is a family disease. How many of you all know that? It takes two or three or ten to tango, right? If you're in active addiction and you're raising all kind of cane in your house, it's probably because somebody's helping you, whether they realize it or not. And that's called an enabler. And we all have them. Um, and some of us have learned to play multiple people and use multiple means of manipulation and politics and Academy Award acting, right, and lying um, to get those people to participate. Um, I was real special with um, causing stress and turmoil and um, a challenge. I'm a, I'm a big fighter. I, that's my nature. Um, and my husband is not. He is very kind and sweet. He did not come from a crazy, chaotic family like I did. So he, did not, he didn't know what to do with me when I went off the deep end. Um, he is a person that likes to keep the peace. And that's why I love him. That's why I was drawn to him. So it was really easy for me to challenge the peace in our household and for him to want to smooth it over. Because I knew he was a lover and I was a fighter. So it was real easy for me to use Mark to be my enabler. And we, I always say about he and I um, that we are the perfect storm. We were. You know, now we're the perfect team because of where we've been. Amen. It's true. Um, but, and I don't blame Mark for anything that I did. I don't. I don't want to say that. But I just want to make, I, we talked about this today, and this is not something we've shared publicly, but we're going to now because we talked about it today, it's real easy to deny your loved one is an addict and to blame it on other reasons. Early on, um, before I really went off the deep end, um, it was right after Madeline was born, um, probably at the beginning, maybe two or three years in, I went to Mark and told him I was struggling and told him I thought I was addicted. And he couldn't accept it. Um, and that was his denial. Not that it was his fault, not that it was his fault that I ran with it after that, but that he couldn't have accepted at that point. So you will see our family members participate in this denial. And we talked about it today, and he said that he just couldn't believe that his wife had that kind of problem. And he hadn't been around any of that kind of thing like I had been growing up. So he didn't really know what to do with that. But you'll look kind of around you and in your family, and you'll see that that denial goes all the way around. 
it's real easy to say, well, you know, Uncle Bill's got a bad back, so he's got to take 85 pills every three days because that's normal. And we justify it. Well, you know, you know, Mama is just grouchy unless she has her beer. You know? So, I mean, that's just how she is. I mean, it's not really a problem. I mean, she can't keep a job, but she's got to have her beer. You know? And I'm just giving you some examples. Um, no one wants to say that your, your spouse, your dad, your husband, your brother... You don't want to say that about your loved one. I can't imagine um, one of my children, after what we've lived through, um, becoming addicted. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in that position. It's, it's, it's scary. And sometimes it's easier to accept an excuse than it is to accept the truth. Okay, let's talk about some ways to break denial in your life. Okay, I've got a warning. It's not easy. Because if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? If it was easy, Bradley County Jail would go out of business. Right? It's not easy. Number one, you got to let go of shame. It's so hard to accept that you are in active addiction because then you're going to have to admit that you're in active addiction. Isn't that deep? Because then you're going to have to feel embarrassed, and you're going to have to feel uncomfortable. And there's a shame that goes with it. Shame held me back for so long because I was embarrassed. I was so ashamed of what I had become. And I didn't know. I was ignorant about what addiction was, what it did to your brain, how you can be genetically predisposed to it. I didn't know. I just thought it meant that I was um, like a scumbag loser. That's what I thought it meant. I mean, is anybody with me? You know, when my face started first appearing and just busted, I was, I thought I was going to die. I wasn't, I was embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to know that. You've got to let go of shame. This is, you guys, this goes on everywhere. It's in all walks of life. Every kind of person every kind of financial background, every kind of ethnicity, male, female, rich, poor, professionals. I've met so many amazing, amazing people that have an addiction problem. It's everywhere, and we need to start talking about it. I'm big on wanting to pull down the stigma. As long as we keep our mouths shut and hide away, then it's never going to change. People are going to keep being ashamed and keep being embarrassed. If I was able to pull down the shame years ago, I just think about the pain I could have avoided. Just think back. If you could have talked to yourself back then when it first started maybe dawning on you or started getting little hints in your mind that I've got a problem. If you could have gotten past that shame early on and gotten help, wouldn't that have been amazing? Number two, you've got to stop feeling sorry for yourself. All the self-pity in the world will not help you. It won't. 
all it is is a waste of time. And I get that life's hard. I get it. And I get that other people have it better. I get it. I get it that sometimes things seem easier for other people. I get it. I get it that other people have more money, that other people have more advantages, other people have more support, other people got a man, okay? Other people got their parents' support. Every moment you waste feeling sorry for yourself, you can't get back. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself, why not love yourself? Why not love yourself enough to get up and do something about it? Realize, number three, realize there's no fixing the past. And I think sometimes when you're frozen in denial, it's because you're still in that fix-it mode. You're like, well, there's no problem. There's not going to be any problem. i got to fix this. i got to fix this. i got to make this right for my kids. I used to think that a lot. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make that Christmas I missed right. But I can't. I can't. I got to make this marriage right. I can't. I got to make that job right. You can't. I got to make those seasons right. I got to admit that birthday I missed, that appointment I missed, that lunch date I missed, that time I lied, that time I stole from my grandma. I got to make that right. You can't. Breaking denial in your life. Let go of these things. Let go of shame. Let go of guilt. Let go of feeling sorry for yourself. Realize there's no fixing the past. And there's that serenity prayer. And I remember when I was first in treatment, I thought it was so stinking annoying. I thought, let me out of here. If they say that serenity prayer one more time, I don't know what's going to happen. Because I just thought it was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Because I was still thinking... I'm not really even addicted. I just got to do this because the court said I have to, whatever. You know, I mean, that's the denial I was in. You know, I'm sorry, Miss Woods, you've been arrested 18 times for drug-related charges, but you may need help. But, you know, I'm still thinking maybe I don't. I mean, I should wear the serenity prayer as a T-shirt pretty much every day for the rest of my life. You guys know the serenity prayer? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I not, cannot change. The, the courage to change the things I can. Amen. That's right. Isn't that good? Doggone it, it got me. And I say it all the time now. Because I, I find myself thinking back, like, how can I fix that? And, I've, and I, when I give my testimony, I, I, when I was in jail, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to time travel. <laughs> and I really did. I was like, I'm going to figure out a way. And I'm going to go back and fix all this. I did. That's hilarious and absolutely true. Um, I did. There is no fixing the past. Allow yourself to start to imagine a new future for yourself. To do that, you've got to let go of those things that you cannot change. Those times that you've lost. You've lost time. You have no 13 years I lost. That's a long time. And I'm not getting it back. But I can start to imagine a new positive future for myself. Also, when I was in jail, maybe another time or that same time. I don't know. It's all a blur, really, because I was in there a lot. I had a lot of time to think. And I remember being in jail. I think I was at Bradley because I was in an orange jumpsuit. And we were in lockdown again. 
and we just had a lot of time to think. And I remember thinking, and we, I was in the cell that had the little window. And I would look out that window, and it was a brickyard back there. And, um, and I would watch people drive to the brickyard. And I would think, I would love to drive to the brickyard. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would love it. That'd be great if I could just drive my car because they drive somewhere else after that. They leave. And we would just stare at them in the brickyard. That was our entertainment. And I would think, I would think in my mind, I want to have a job. I'm going to have a job. And I would visualize myself dressed, and I'm like, I'm going to wear pretty clothes. That was a goal when I was wearing my orange jumpsuit. I'm going to wear pretty clothes, and I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to drive to a job. And I would begin to think of a better way for me and a better life for me, and I begin to break the denial. In order to start thinking about wanting a better life, you have to admit that this life is not so great. So begin to imagine a new positive future for yourself. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's not just new age, uh, you know, work-related seminar kind of stuff that they teach you in corporate America. It's scripture, you know? There's nothing new under the sun, Jesus said at first. Imagine that. But if you'll start thinking of yourself in a new light, just start there. Start with a thought. Start telling yourself, I can have a new life. I can have something better for me. That'll start to break the denial in your life. Be accountable. And that's a big one. When I first got out of treatment, and I started working my little job, and I started wearing my little clothes that I had seen when I was in jail, and I started small. I didn't even know if I, Amanda was just sharing, she's got a position that she doesn't even know if she can do, and I thought, that's perfect. You know what I mean? That's a good place to be. Because if you're out there where you've got to rely on something greater than yourself, that's good for an addict. I remember when they first printed my schedule at my job, where I am now, where I'm number one in the market, by the way. I mean, I'm excited. That's not bragging. That's just telling you how good God's been to me and that if I can do it, holy cow, y'all can do it, I promise. Um, but when I first started this job I'm at that I've kept for going on five years, um, they printed out my schedule, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what I'm saying? When people put a commitment on you, does it scare you? And you're like, that's a lot of days, and my name's next to a lot of them, and I just don't know. I haven't shown up to a lot of places in the past. I don't know if I'm going to go, but, you know, when they printed all that out, I thought, okay, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to try. Every day I'm going to get up and I'm just going to try. And that's what I did. Number six, adopt a nothing but the truth policy for a living. And I'm big on this one. The truth is not your enemy. When you're in active addiction, the truth is your enemy. you got to hide the truth. you got to remember what you told them, and then remember what you told them, remember what you told yourself, and keep up with it all. How many know it's exhausting to manage being a liar? Isn't it? Holy cow, it's so tiring. I mean, the truth is not your enemy. When you accept the truth and start speaking it, healing can begin. And it's such a relief. 
oh my gosh, you don't have to remember what you said. You can just say what actually happened. Who knew? You know? I'm just being honest. You may be asking yourself, Maggie Woods, what can I do when my whole life is bound up in a web of lies? What, what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've developed a four-step program. Mark, will you bring me that? you hold that up, babe? Okay. Mark drew it. Thanks, Annie. Okay. This is, this is funny. The Maggie Woods four-step program for what to do when your whole life is bound up in a web of lies. Number one, stop lying. How about that? It's deep. It's deep. Let that absorb. Number two, open up your mouth and start telling the truth. You know what's cool about that? I've noticed when you pop the top on the truth, it all starts coming out. Because you've been saving it up. You didn't even know. You're like, you know what? And by the way, that Tuesday when I was late, guess what I was doing? I mean, they don't even need that, but you just have to get it out. Let that truth come out. There's healing. Number three, repeat as often as needed. And it's going to be often. It's going to be daily. It's going to be constantly. Nothing but the truth. All you have is the truth. And number four, this is the best step of all. Sit back and wait for your new life because it's on the way. Listen to me. This is so crucial. Thank you, babe. This is so powerful. Y'all, that is so deep, and I know it's, I'm being kind of corny about it, but it is so deep. It has been life-changing for me. If you want a new life, who wants a new life for themselves? Who wants a good life for themselves? Who wants to let go of addiction? Who wants to walk out of addiction into long-term recovery? I want to be like pastor. How many years you got clean? 38 years. You know how you do that? That's amazing. That's incredible. Six years to me is incredible. It's amazing. You know how I've done it? Because every day, no matter what, no matter what I think the consequences are, no matter how bad I think it's going to make me look, no matter how embarrassed I am about it, I tell the truth. When it doesn't benefit me, I tell the truth. When it may cost me something, I tell the truth. When it seems negative, when it may make people judge me, when it may make people think less of me, I tell the truth. And as I've done that, I've watched my life become progressively better. I've seen people trust me. I've seen people hand me, I have keys to five Verizon stores. There wouldn't have been a phone left back in the day, y'all. Do you know what I'm saying? I would have had them lined out the door. Right? But now that I'm an honest person, and I'll tell you the truth, and it's brutal sometimes, and it's hard, but your new life will come, I promise, I promise. I would tell you if it weren't true, right? If you want a new life, start telling that truth. Start telling it. Somebody asks you, say, okay, you might want to sit down. I'm going to tell you the truth. Denial and relapse, we're going to talk about that. So that's what denial is in active addiction. After rehab, after you get out, after you get your two feet back on the ground, 
and you've got some sober time under your belt. You're feeling good. You're kind of getting back into fighting shape, and you're feeling better about yourself. You're going to go through what's called a honeymoon phase. You're like, I got this. I got this. I don't even think about it anymore. I love it when people say that. I don't even think about it anymore. That was then. This is now. You're in danger. And I know it doesn't preach well, and I know it doesn't sound great, but this is never going to be over. And I'm not going to say your life is going to be hell for the rest of your life because that's not true either. But you're never going to get to the point where you don't have to handle yourself with care. Maybe people don't know. You're in a new workplace. I'm in a new workplace or, you know, um, I'm around people. And it's funny, when you get back out there, you're gonna, it'll, it'll happen to you guys too. I remember that, and it still happens to me now, and I just, I just think it's pretty entertaining. Um, I'll be working or whatever with my you know, group of people I work with, about um, 98 reps in the Middle Tennessee market. And you know, we see a lot of different types of people, and people come in, they'll be like, man, did you see that druggie? I'll just, you know, oh, where? You know, that's how I feel, like, me? What? You know, and I'm just thinking, that, that's me. That's one of my people you're talking about. Do you know what I mean? And I have compassion for those people, but people don't know. And you start thinking, well, maybe I'll just keep this to myself. Because, you know, there is a stigma, and people don't understand, and people label people, and people judge people, and people think that it can't happen to them, but it can. And you start thinking, I got this. I'm just going to tuck this under my belt. And you're going to begin to speak to yourself again. This is going to happen, and it is happening for some of you. You start thinking to yourself and talking to yourself again. You say to yourself, maybe I wasn't really an addict after all. Uh-oh. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe that was just because you get disconnected. Because you start feeling good. And your little brain starts talking to you. And, you know, it starts saying, all that was behind you. You're okay. You got this. It's okay for you to have one drink. It's a special occasion. It's the meeting at work. They're all at dinner celebrating. You got to go. It's okay for you to work at that bar. You don't have to tell your doctor you've got a past with addiction. He's going to judge you. You don't have to tell the dentist that you probably better not get a narcotic pain medication. He might not treat you if you tell him. You don't have to give your spouse or your, whoever you're accountable for uh, to your medicine so they can help you manage it and watch you. You got this. Oh, here's a good one. Marijuana is not really even a drug. It's legal. It's going to be legal here. It's legal. Lots of things are legal. Lots of things are allowed, but they're not all beneficial. Guys, and I'm talking to myself, I don't have to tell my doctor. I don't have to tell anyone. Here's a good one. I don't have to tell anyone that I messed up. I'm just going to fix it myself because I got all this clean time. And what's going to happen if they find out that I messed up? 
they're not going to let me be in leadership anymore, or they're all going to think bad of me. I don't have to tell anyone what's going on. Everyone will be so let down if they find out I messed up, and it's really not a big deal. I mean, it was just one pill. It was just one drink. That doesn't really count, does it? That's right, it does count. I can be around people who use, and I'll be fine. You know, my man, he uses, but it's no big deal. He didn't, he didn't, that's not even my drug of choice. If I don't use my drug of choice, it doesn't count, right? Wrong, that's right, that's right, it's wrong. Any mind-altering chemical or substance, y'all, is dangerous to a person that is in active recovery. Because that brain of yours won't be long before it's going to demand your drug of choice. I can be in a relationship with someone who uses, and I'll be fine. And I've seen this a lot um, with people who date people that use, and, they, and I'll see them back in jail. I can go to bars and other places where people drink and use, and I'll be fine. Um, in my job, we do a lot of, um, I'm in sales, and we do a lot of parties um, and dinners and um, celebrations for people that are successful. And the Lord's really blessed me, and I've been successful in my position. I'm a good salesperson. Um, and I have to not go. And I hate that. You know, sometimes I hate it, I feel bad, or I feel just, you know, like odd man out or whatever. But um, my regional director is really cool, and he knows, and he actually, um, he'll call me up. It'll be like, Maggie, I know why you didn't come. I knew exactly why. And he said, because you've made a, a rule for yourself, and you don't break that. And I respect that. And I thought that was so cool. It's because I've been open about it. I've told him up front. I've put it out there. Um, I'm strong. That's a good one. I'm strong. You know, people say that, and they say it as an encouragement, but a person that struggled with addiction is not strong. You're not strong. You've just learned to be smart. You've learned to avoid situations that put yourself in danger. You've learned to not have a denial about who you are and what you're capable of. You're not strong. You have to be smart. I don't have to stay in touch with recovery anymore. I mean, it's been six years. I don't have to keep going and talking about it or being around other people that are in, in recovery. That's, that's, I just want to put that away. I remember when I was going through drug court, um, I just wanted to be done. I just wanted to be away and just forget about it and not think about any, and I would think of any of these people anymore. And I was those people, but I was still in such a denial. Um, I've got it all under control, that's the past, this is now, and I have nothing to do with that anymore. That is dangerous thinking. I don't have to practice self-care, eating, sleeping, exercise. I don't need all those restrictions anymore. You learn self-care and rehab, and it's real active, and, and um, you know, it's your focus. But when you're out from your treatment, when you're out away from your program, and it's real life again, you're going to have to work a program for yourself. You're going to have to create a routine. You're going to have to be like, no, it's 11, and I need to go get my hind end in bed, or I'm going to become a crazy person again. 
I require sleep. Who knew? And I know those things are to normal people. It just seems normal. But to a person that has, has been a drug addict or a person that has that addictive personality and behavior and brain, it's not common sense to us. You're like, what's wrong with me? And it's like, oh, I haven't eaten in 11 hours. You should eat. Eating, sleeping, exercising, self-care, showering. What's wrong with me? And, and taking inventory and taking care of me. And going, you know what? I need to go to bed, and I need to eat, and I need to sleep, and I need to exercise. I do need all these restrictions. Here's a good one. I don't have to answer to anybody anymore. If you've gone through any kind of court program, y'all, there was a time when I went to rehab three nights a week. I went to court once a week. I was in probation in three counties. I mean, it was a lot. I reported to everybody all the time. But I still have to be accountable. I still have to say, hey, this is what's happening. Sometimes with Mark, um, even no, now with Mark, not sometimes, I'll be like, well, I'm going to the dentist's office, and I'm at the dentist's office now, and I'm going to go into the CVS, and I'm going to pick this up, and I'll get, like, i got to tell him. I'm going to tell him. Just so he knows. Just because I've got to keep myself safe. Okay, and this is what's happening. When I go into the doctor's office, and it's hard, y'all, and I see that list, and it says, you know, you're like, do you have rheumatoid arthritis? Do you have this? Have you ever had shingles? Blah, blah, blah. And then it'll be like drug addiction, and I'm like, dang it. It's there. And I just check it off because i got to take care of me. I do have to answer to a lot of people, a lot of people. And here's something people say, and I'm going to close with this. We say, I can use one more time. Just one more time. Nobody will know. Just for old time's sake, I'm not going to go back to that old crazy life. Mark, will you bring me that up, babe, please? Um, I can use one more time. I'm going to tell you a little story, and some of you know it and some of you don't. Um, I'm going to tell you about this guy right here, mm -hmm, if you don't care. One more time. You go through seasons, and you struggle, and you fight, and you fight for your sobriety. Um, this guy, this is my brother, Bobby, and um, he had been going uh, through opiate addiction. We kind of did it together um, for years, and he struggled, and he fought, and dang, that boy is obstinate. Um, defiant, a lot like his big sis, um, world-class actor, really, brilliantly funny, very manipulative, could have done great in sales, to be honest with you. Um, he had gone through um, a program. He was about 30 days clean, and this was last January, and he got thrown out of that program. And my mom was an enabler to him, and she loved him, and I can't imagine having your child. He was homeless. He couldn't live with anybody because he would steal from them. He had burned his bridges, um, much like I had. Um, and my mom put him up in a little hotel, and 
she had made arrangements for him to go back into rehab um, Friday, January 20th. And January 19th, my brother decided to use one more time. I mean, what the heck? You're going to rehab tomorrow, right? You may as well feel good tonight. I mean, go out with a bang. Family's mad at you anyway. You don't have a job. Everybody thinks bad of you. Go big or go home, right? YOLO. And I have his phone. And the last uh, text he made were to a drug dealer. And the last text he got was when the drug dealer pulled up and said, come out. That was January 19th, about 4 o'clock. January 20th, they went to go get him. And he was dead. He was slumped over in a chair, used one more time. That's denial, y'all. January 20th, my brother was found dead in a hotel room of um, fentanyl and heroin overdose. And I had made a promise to him. Thank you. I made a promise to him and, and to the Lord. My brother and I were very tight because we were very similar. That I wouldn't let his life be for nothing. That I wouldn't let his struggle be for nothing. That I wouldn't let my life be for nothing. That I wouldn't let all the hell that I walked through and that I caused be for nothing. Break the denial. Break the denial. Tell the truth. Know yourself. Know what you're capable of. And you can have a life. You can have a wonderful life. A life that you can't even imagine right now. That's all I have.